Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. You haven't joined us for the past couple of weeks. We are in a series called Forgotten Commandments, where we're looking at some of the uh, most forgotten, but maybe most misunderstood commandments at the same time, and we're going to continue that, ser- that series today. Uh, before we get going, though, I want us to play a little game. A little game. Ready? Okay. We're going to show some pictures up on the screen, and what I want you to do, look at these. I want you to, to consider maybe what these have in common. For the record, uh, middle picture to the right, that is my beautiful wife, Elizabeth, my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Nora, and our just-over-four-week-old daughter, Helen. Awesome. Okay. What do these pictures have in common, do you think? All of these things can very, very easily become idols in our lives. That's what they have in common. So today we're going to talk about idolatry. Uh, And if you have some some kind of type A tendencies like I do, let me just give you a rundown of where we're going to be going today. Number one, we're going to look at the basics of idolatry. What is it? What's worship? Uh, That kind of thing. And then we're going to look at the objects of our idolatry. What are those idols in our lives? We're going to look at the consequences for idolatry. How does God respond to idolaters? And lastly, we're going to look at the remedy for idolatry, how we should refocus our worship and where our worship should be. So grab your Bibles, go to Exodus 20. If you're using an app, go to the ESV version. You should be able to scroll down and find the ESV version. That's what we're going to be using today. It'll be easier for you to follow along, but the words will be up on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read this. I'll pray for us, and then we'll just start breaking down the passage. So here we go. This is Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6. He said, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray and ask for God's help this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that we got to spend just a few minutes just praising you in song. Jesus, we recognize that you are worthy of it all. And Father, we give this time to you. We ask that you would move, Holy Spirit, you would convict, you would soften our hard hearts Pray that we would be changed when we leave for your glory and our good. Amen. So the basics of idolatry. Look back at those first three verses of Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord. Notice that word Lord. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That word is in all caps. If you have your Bibles here, in, in I think in every translation of our English translation of our Bible, the word Lord um, in the Old Testament is, is oftentimes it is in all capital letters. The reason for this, it's not a, it's not a typo. 
Um, the reason for this is that is, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Uh, in ancient times, the scribes who wrote, the, wrote down these, these books, that word Yahweh is a name for God that he, that God gave to Moses. And that name was so sacred and so honored that scribes wouldn't, wouldn't write it down and the people wouldn't even speak it. And so what they did is the scribes took the vowels of the word Yahweh, they created a brand new word, that word is Adonai. Adonai means the Lord. And so whenever you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, in all caps, you know that that is the word Yahweh. This is God's official name that he gave himself. And he did this back away in the beginning of Exodus. The beginning of Exodus, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and they were enslaved for how long? Remember? Four hundred years. That's probably going to be a quiz on next week's thing. Um, uh, uh, but 400 years, 10 generations. And so they're in Egypt and God calls Moses. Moses was previously in Egypt. Moses had fled into um, the, the wilderness for, and he was in the wilderness for quite some time. Uh, God called Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to tell my people around a million Israelites, I want you to tell my chosen people and tell Pharaoh that it's time for my people to leave Egypt and to come worship me. And Moses says, okay, fantastic. You want me to go to the most powerful nation on the face of the planet and tell a million people that they just need to pack up their stuff and go. Awesome. Lord, they're going to ask a question. They're going to say, oh yeah, who says? And God said, tell them that Yahweh sent you. Yahweh means I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And so when God uses that, uses that name in these verses where he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, he's saying, you guys have to remember, I am your God. Yahweh is your God. You are no longer in Egypt anymore, surrounded by their massive pantheon of false gods and false idol worship. I'm your God. You're no longer there. I've brought you here to this place to worship me and me alone as Yahweh. And what's really interesting is that if we think about that in the right way, that is why all of us exist. We're alive. We're breathing oxygen this morning and we were born, created, designed to worship God alone, to give him glory. It's our root, it's our foundation, it's our baseline. It's just, it's what we were intended to do. And another way to, to say that or to give him glory, but that means we were created to worship. We are worshipers. Um, I was talking to Kevin about this sermon last week and Kevin told me a, an interesting thing about worship and I went and verified um, afterward and he was right. You know, cause he's got the whole Alabama thing. So it's just, you, you, gotta, you gotta check in. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't think Kevin's here today so I can get away with that. Um, Alabama's a, you know, cute, little adorable team. Um, but he said, Kevin told me, told me this. He said that the word worship, it actually comes from an old English word, and that word is worth-ship. Worth-ship, as in something that is, that has great worth, that has a lot of value that you would seek after, that you would adore. That's what worship means, and so maybe a quick kind of working definition for us today in regards to worship is this. True worship equals treasuring, obeying, and loving God above all 
else. He alone is worthy of our worth-ship. Now, here's, here's the problem. So this is why we we're created, to give him all glory. The problem is our very first parents, Adam and Eve, when they were here, they rebelled against God. They wanted to be their own God. They wanted to worship themselves. And because of their rebellion, their sin, all of their kids, all of their descendants are now born with a sin nature. And that sin nature makes it impossible for us to direct our worship solely on where it was intended to be. And what's even more fascinating is that, you know, our innate natural um, propensity to worship, that didn't change. That remained. Just the target of our worship changed. And so now we're, we're this, all of this glory and worship that we're intended to give solely on one God, we now spread across and give to many small g gods. Idolatry, then, is the treasuring of anything other than God. It's the valuing of anything other than God, and it's the obeying of anything other than God, and the loving of anything more than God. And whatever those things are, that you ascribe that worship, that is an idol in your life, and that's an idol in my life. So let's talk about the objects of our worship. That's kind of like the, the basics of it. Now let's look at the, the, the practical things. What are the things that we worship? Look at verses four through the beginning of verse five in Exodus 20. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. We can just leave that verse, leave that verse up there. Um, actually, the, the very beginning of that verse right there. Where does God say in this verse, where, he, he kind of tells us where idols come from. Where do they come from? He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Idols come from us. We create our own idols. John Calvin uh, was a 16th century theologian. He has a famous thing. He said, he said that the human mind is a forge for idols, meaning we are just perpetual idol factories, just continually churning out objects that we ascribe our worship to. Because as constant worshipers, born to be worshipers, Sinful worshipers were always going to worship something. Always. That's not something that we can shut off. It's always going to be on something. Now, in this passage, you know, God is talking about a very specific kind of idol worship. Show of hands, anybody have in your living room a little shrine, perhaps, of a, maybe, maybe you fashioned it out of gold or silver, maybe some form of a calf. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you bow down to it and sacrifice I don't know, children to it. No, no, no hands. Excellent, fantastic, I was worried. But of course, idolatry goes so much deeper than just, you know, bowing in front of an, an inanimate object and like all the commandments that we've looked at in the series. There's, there's nuance and there's deeper things, ways that we can relate to. So let's get really, really practical. Let's identify some of our idols. Um, there's a great quote by David Clarkson. He's a 17th century pastor. Uh, when, I, when I found this, this really helped me 
by God's grace, identify some idols in my own life. He said, he says, idolatry is when the mind is set on anything more than God, when anything is more valued than God, more desired than God, more sought than God, more loved than God. So just as a little exercise, let's put back up those six pictures real quick. Okay. So top left, watching TV, vegetarian. Top right, you have ministry, you have church. Middle, you've got money. Other picture, you've got the most beautiful family that God has ever created. Um, bottom left, that is a, obviously a football stadium. That's uh, the uh, you know 2023 Chiefs uh, Super Bowl champions stadium right there. Thank you. Um, see idols, uh, and then fl- and then you see the American flag. So. Just being really vulnerable. I can't think of a better time to be vulnerable than with a couple hundred people and on a camera that's gonna record and be put on the internet. So all of these things at one point in my life were idols. Every one of them. So silly. We laugh at the golden calf. No, we wouldn't have a golden calf in our house. No, but we have a glowing box that dominate so much of our time and thoughts. It's the same thing. But at one point, these all dominated my thoughts and I desired them so much. And I think I could make the argument that I desired them even more than God at times. I spent so much time on them, so much money on them. These were motivators for me. I sought after them and I attempted, attempted to find joy to find meaning, to find purpose in all of these things. And when they weren't in my life, I felt like something was like lacking. I'm not complete. I feel discontent and I'm frustrated and these frustrations affected my family and they affected people around me. And worst of all, it actually limited the way that I could represent Christ on this earth. I was so consumed by my idols. But enough about me. Let's talk about you. Um, consider your life for, for a moment. Um, can you think of some things that maybe you treasure right now more than God? And as I've been preparing this, this sermon and thinking about it, praying that God would be gracious and by his spirit highlight things in each of our lives. Is there anything you treasure more than God? Anything that you obey more than God? You know, for when we think about idols, for many in this room, there are in your life these like, these massive sin conditions that are just like, they're just like goiters. They're just like hanging off of you. They're like oozing. They're pussing. They're making a mess of your life. You're doing your best to hide, but you just can't. Those things are obviously idols. Those obvious sin conditions where you can think, oh yeah, I've got that, 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 and that. Those are symptoms of idolatry in your life. But watch this. Oftentimes, idols in our lives can be good things. They can be really good things that you and I turn into little case G, God things. They can be good things that we turn into God things. I think of my, my two daughters, Nora and Helen. They are awesome 
I love them so much. They are fun. They are smart. And even though they are little sinners, I still love them so much. And I thank God for them. But those two little beautiful girls can become so quickly idols for me, where I can attach my joy to them and my meaning to them. Some of you, some of you kind of know the journey that God sent Elizabeth and I through in, in an attempt to have our first, our first daughter. It was a long time and it was frustrating. And that, that, so that, that became something. Being a dad was something that I just grabbed a hold of, wanted so badly, and I wanted it more than God. Idols are often good things that become God things. So in thinking about that, I'm gonna, we're gonna put up a list and we're gonna take just a couple, just a couple moments. I want, I want, and we're gonna read through. I'm not gonna provide any commentary on each of these. I just want us to look at this and perhaps the Holy Spirit, as you answer these for yourself, perhaps the Holy Spirit will put something, will fill in that blank for you, okay? So number one, I want blank more than anything else. I seek approval from blank. I run to blank for comfort. I complain about blank the most. Blank gets me out of the bed in the morning. Blank makes me the happiest. I spend the most time on and these last two, I think, are really, really telling, really telling. If I lost blank, it would utterly destroy me. Blank gives my life meaning and purpose. If you could think of any things that just fill those blanks real quickly, that just pop into your brain, you could be looking at an idol. You could have just, by God's grace, identified an idol in your life. And some of you might be thinking, okay, I get it. Um, I'm splitting my worship between God and these other things, but hey, uh, my family seems to be thriving. I'm doing okay. What's the big deal? Is it really that big of a deal? If I were the devil, last time I checked, I wasn't, just if you're wondering, if I was the devil, that's exactly what I would want all of us to believe. That we can, that we can split up our, our worship, we can broadcast our worship over everything with God being one of those things and have there be no effect in our lives. However, worship is an ultimate activity. For you to truly worship anything, it requires all of you. And when our idols get in the way of our worship and God gets like our, our sloppy seconds, our true worship is warped. And this is, here's some things that kind of happen. Our attention that is supposed to be completely on him, it gets distracted into all these other things. Our allegiance, we are supposed to be completely loyal to God in every regard. Nothing is supposed to be in the same place. If, if we are worshiping other things, our allegiance, it is divided. Our affection, our love for God is distorted. The awe that we feel towards God, the glory that we should be giving him, that is, it's, it's completely diminished because we're not just worshiping him. We're worshiping all these other things. So we can't really give him all that much glory when we have all these idols in our life. And Maybe finally, 
as the people of God, we are intended to have an effect on this world as heralds, ambassadors, missionaries, Christians on mission for Jesus Christ, taking him and his glory and his character and his gospel everywhere we go. If we're worshiping other gods, our effect is diluted and we look no, we look no different than all the world that's around us. And we can really be of no good. And so naturally, like we've seen, these, this idolatry it has, it has natural consequences. But there are also consequences that God allows us to go through. Well, let's look at that, the, quant- the consequences of idolatry. Look at verse five again. He says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for the Lord your God, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. I am a jealous God. Jealousy is a sin, right? Is there sin in God? No. So what's what's going on here? So next week, Pastor Greg, he's going to talk about the 10th commandment, which is uh, thou shalt not covet. I I have it in the King James in my brain. Thou shalt not covet. So coveting is you looking at what somebody else has, something that doesn't belong to you. You're looking at them and you say, man, I want that. And you start to resent that person because they have something you don't. And that thought just consumes you. You start to hate the person and you can't focus on anything else. That's coveting. And that's a sin. But that's not what's going on here. God is not wanting something that doesn't belong to him. He is jealous for that thing which belongs only to him. And what is that? Worship. Worship and glory belongs only to God. And all that worship is being adulterously given to others and other things. And you can consider this, you can think of this kind of in the same way if, if a spouse cheats on another, you know, their, a spouse cheats on their mate. For some of you, that's a part of your story, and I'm so sorry. If your spouse cheats on you, and this affection, this attention, this fidelity that was supposed to be pointed directly to you for your entire life and their entire life, this covenant you made between them and God, and all of a sudden that that affection, that attention is being given to someone else, you are going to feel a righteous jealousy for that which is supposed to be yours. Now, multiply that situation and those emotions infinitely, and that's what's taking place with God. All of this worship that every single person ever created, whoever will be created, all this worship that was supposed to be God's is being broadcast to so many different targets. It's a betrayal that is cosmic in size. Look what God says in Isaiah, to the prophet Isaiah. He says, I am the Lord, all capital letters. I am Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So what is God's response? Look back to verse five again. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for the Lord your God. I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation, watch this, of those who hate me. Idolatry is a sin. There are always 
consequences for sin. Now, oftentimes, as discipline, God will allow the natural effects of our sin to just play themselves out. He'll just let that happen. Sin will always, always, always have a negative effect on you and those around you. And as any good parent disciplines their children to prevent future sin, this is one way that God disciplines his kids. He just lets that play out. But the verse also says that God will allow those consequences to affect more than just you. He says he'll let idolatry affect your children and their children. Dads, if you're a dad in the room, let me ask you a question. If you have something in your life that takes you away from your family way more than it should, if there is something in your life that makes you be abusive in any way, if there's something in your life that is causing you to be lazy, if there's something in your life that is preventing you from being the spiritual leader in your home, those are idols. Do you think that your idolatry will have an effect on your kids? Yes. Well, the way that you treat your kids and the effect that you have on them, is that going to affect the way that they will parent? Do you see what's happening? Many of us in this room are living in this cycle where you are experiencing the effects of your parents' sin, your grandparents' sin. And this is what God says will happen. He's going to allow this idolatrous behavior to have its full effect. And we can go even a little bit, a little bit deeper. Whenever we think about idol worship, there always has to be obviously the idol, but there is most often there is also a sacrifice that is made every time. We see a really interesting example of this um, in Exodus 32 that we'll look at in just a second. But while God is giving Moses these 10 commandments and he's telling Moses, hey, you and the Israelites don't have any other gods before me. Don't worship anything else. Don't make carved images because you can't reduce me down to the form of anything which is ludicrous to consider, but don't make for yourselves carved images. Don't bow down to them. Don't worship them. While God is writing this down, telling Moses this, what are the Israelites doing? (laughs) They're making a carved image. They're worshiping another God. They're bowing down to it and worshiping it. Look at uh, Exodus 32 real quick. 32 verses one through six. He says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. Moses was up on the mountain for a long time. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. And for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron, Aaron was Moses's right-hand man. Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters, bring them to me. And so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, this is crazy. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Wild. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, this golden calf that he just made from gold that that the people brought to him. He made an altar to it. 
And then as a way to like soften this, because I'm sure Aaron was just like, oh my, this is going the wrong direction. Look what he says. He says, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. He uses Yahweh's name. That is blasphemous. They're doing something that they know that they are not supposed to do. Tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. And they, and, and they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. They had their idol. So they have to make an altar and they have to sacrifice something to it. If you are a workaholic, if I am a workaholic, your job is your idol, your office is your altar, and your family is your sacrifice that you are making to your God. And you are telling your God, you are more important to me than my family. I give it to you in service and worship. If you have any other kind of sin in your life, let's just say porn. As statistically, statistics say, probably a fourth, but probably a third of us have that in a part of our story, but maybe right now in your life. If that's in your story, your, your lust, your sexual gratification that you feel like you've, you deserve, that's your idol. Whatever screen or page, whatever you look at that on, your tablet, your phone, your computer, that is your, you know, that, that is your altar and your purity, your holiness, that which is supposed to be only to your spouse or future spouse, that is your sacrifice that you're making to your God. And we could do that exact same exercise with every single idol in our lives. You can point it out and you can always see the sacrifice that we are laying down before our God. God said there'd be heavy consequences for idolaters who hate him. Remember that in that verse? For those who hate him. Here's what God means by that. Haters of God don't give a rip about his commands. They don't care about idolatry. They revel in their disobedience. And, and God is saying that whoever persists, whoever continues to do these things that they should not do, your end will be your crazy difficult life because sin always has effects. Your end, if you persist, it's going to affect your family. If you persist, it's going to affect your families. families. This is what's going to happen. But he goes on and basically says, this doesn't have to be your end. You don't have to go through that. Look at number four. Look at the remedy for idolatry. It says this in verse six. So he says, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation. Hate me, verse six but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. After the Israelites worshiped this golden calf that they had just made, God sees this and he's talking to Moses and he says, Moses, I'm gonna go kill those people. I'm gonna completely wipe them out and I'm gonna start over with you and your descendants. Moses prays and he says, God, don't do that. Please don't do that. And God listens to Moses' prayer and he 
he goes down, Moses then goes down to the, to the people. And this is what he does. He takes this idol that they had just made. He melts it down. Then he crushes it. He, he completely just turns it into dust. And then he takes all these, these, this ash and this dust over to a stream that runs down the mountain away from the people. And he dumps this crushed up idol into the stream. And a stream takes all of that evil pagan thing away from the people. And then Moses goes back up to the mountain. And this is so cool. Look, look at what God does. God then comes back down to where Moses is and God descends in the form of a cloud. He gets new tablets and he writes new 10 commandments down and he writes the law down. And as he is doing this, look at what God, look at what God does. This is so cool. In verse, uh, in Exodus 34, the Lord, Yahweh, passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a good, merciful, and gracious, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generations. We, if we persist, if we persist in our idolatry, God has told us what he will do. But if we turn, if we turn back, by God's grace, he has highlighted things in your life, highlighted things in your life that you can say, oh, that's the idol. That's my idol right now. That's what I'm ascribing all my worship to. This is what I'm putting value on. This is what I'm obeying more than anything else. If you turn from that idol. If we repent of our idolatry, Yahweh, who is gracious, who is merciful, who is abounding in steadfast love and who forgives iniquity for thousands of those who love him, whose love for you and for me is un measurable if we repent. He will relent from this punishment and preserve our family, and he will fill our lives with more joy and peace and contentment than we can ever imagine because all the areas where we were looking for those things will never find it in any place other than Yahweh. And all of this is possible. Us being able to come to the Father in confidence and repent and find forgiveness, it is only possible because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ. For Moses, God came down to him in the form of a cloud. Later, God would come to earth. He would come here to you and me in the flesh, in the form of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Colossians 1, he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And he goes on to say that in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is Yahweh in flesh. And just like Moses took that pagan calf and he crushed it and he made it into dust and he put it in the stream to be sent away. Jesus was lifted up and he was crushed for you and me. And because of his perfect work, perfect work, his death on the cross on your behalf and on my behalf, our sins can be taken farther away from us than we can ever imagine. This, this can be the day. This can be the day 
where we recognize our idols and we come to God on bended knee, bringing him all the worship that we can possibly muster, all the worship that we were created and designed to give him. We can turn from our idols, repent, and find nothing but a gracious and loving, merciful, perfect Savior in Jesus Christ. Do me a favor. Would you just bow your heads? I believe so much that God highlighted things in lives today. He's done that for me. <laughs> He's highlighted things in my life that I didn't realize were idols. If he's doing that for you today, this is your response. You can just pray a simple prayer like this. You can say, God, I see the idol in my life. I was blinded, but now I see. Thank you for opening my eyes. Father, I give this to you. Forgive me for my idolatry. Give me grace to serve you, to focus all my worship on you where it only belongs. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You can say that I am not a Christian. Jesus is not my king. But maybe, maybe today you feel your heart kind of being pricked a little bit. You feel like, oh, like you're, you're, something's happening in you. This is God. This is God wooing you, calling you to himself. And if God is doing that, today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day where you repent of your sin, where you acknowledge Jesus as Yahweh. You acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can do that right where you're at. You can do it just by praying a simple prayer like this. It has nothing to do with a prayer. It's got everything to do with what God has done in your life. You're just acknowledging it. Maybe you can just say back to God, God, I see you. I see you as Jesus Christ. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my worship. All my sin that was in my past, I give it to you. And I thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, taking that sin far from me. By grace, help me to live for you the rest of my life. Well, God, we thank you for this time together, Lord. Um, I thank you for your word. Thank you for just these moments where we got to worship you in song. We got to hear, hear from, from you, I hope, from, from your word, Father God. I pray that you would go with us. Lord, help us to be a people that recognize the idols, that destroy the idols, and that live in a way that is in line with you and your word and your character and your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask these things that you would do it, God, for your glory and our good. Amen.